Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to have you here today on this Easter Sunday. And for those of you that are joining, welcome online. We are in the midst of death. Death has become a daily part of our lives. For over the past year, we have had the pandemic daily death tolls. Over three million people have died around the world and over half a million people here in the United States and every day we have a reminder that that number keeps growing. And we're in the midst of another little surge, thankfully not as bad as the previous ones, but the cases are rising and so are the deaths numbers. And for those of us here in the Twin Cities, there has been seemingly a, a daily reminder, if not from, from news or social media, but certainly by, by driving around in my neighborhood, uh, signs reminding us of the killing of George Floyd or statements, they are a daily reminder of his killing, his death, and now we have the trial. And if you've been able to watch or listen to it, they've replayed the video. And so death is a part of our daily lives. And there are more instances of death. This past week, a Salvadorian woman in Mexico was killed by four police officers, a woman police officer literally kneeling on the neck of this woman and ended up breaking her neck. Friday, a man drove his car into the Capitol killing one of the police officers with a knife, wounding another, which reminds us of Officer Evans, who was killed on the January 6th uh, insurgents against the Capitol. Over the past month, there has been two mass shootings, one in Atlanta, one in Colorado, 18 people dead. In the northern city of Palma, in Mozambique, where we have partners who are pastors in that city, Dozens of, civilian, dozens of civilians have died in terrorist attacks that insurgents have been waging against that, that northern area in Mozambique for over a year now as the, one of the world's largest reserves of natural gas has been found there and there is conflict and battle in that country over that resource. Children as young as 11 years old have been decapitated. This week, April 8th, is the Holocaust Remembrance Day for the Jewish people, where they remember the killing of over six million of their people at the hands of Nazi Germany. And in the last few months, death has struck, and in, much, uh, and in the lives of people that we know and love, death is striking through sickness with terminal illnesses. And I know this is kind of depressing and overwhelming and negative and dark, and it is. But the first Easter, if you were reading the texts of Scripture that record the events of that first Easter Sunday, that Easter Sunday did not start with celebrations and feasts. Friday, their friend and Savior, the man Jesus, had been killed by officials drunk on power and jealous of his popularity, and by the mob who was paid off to select him to die rather than Barabbas, 
who was a thief and a murderer. Their friend and savior, Jesus, the man, was no longer with them. And so on the first Easter, the disciples of Jesus were grieving because of his death. Death had overcome them. And it's not only the actual dying that affects us. We have the effects of death. You know, when God told man and woman in the garden that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would die, they ate of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you know, but they didn't, they didn't die in terms of the way we were expecting, if you're reading that, and understand death just in terms of when somebody, their body is no longer living. They experienced death. The experience of death initially for them was this sense of guilt for having disobeyed God. Their consciences were immediately searing. And then they recognized the experience of shame and tried to cover them, their, their nakedness from each other. They were trying to hide. That's what shame does. It is humiliation. Death humiliates. Death gives us guilt. These things then lead to depression and anger and isolation and fear and all the other negative emotions and experiences that we have. These things are also death. We have to recognize that. Death affects us in ways beyond the actual dying of our physical bodies. I've been able to just watch a little bit of the Derek Chauvin trial this week. And there were two stories, two testimonies from that trial that really grabbed me in a way that, that just, it, it caused me to have a feeling and a thought that with, without the gospel, how would you be able to continue to, to live in process what these two people experienced. The first one was Christopher Martin. So Christopher Martin is the 19-year-old young man who, who sold the package of cigarettes to George Floyd. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting short story about what happened in that moment. George Floyd and, his, and, a, and a friend of his had come into Cup Foods earlier that day and George Floyd's companion had tried to, to purchase something with a counterfeit $20 bill. And the, this 19-year-old uh, Christopher uh, immediately saw that it was a counterfeit bill. It had an unusual strong blue dye to it that was different from $20 bills. And so he, he did not accept the transaction. And he felt like the guy was trying to pull one over on him. And so a few hours later... George Floyd and his friend came back, and George Floyd tried to buy a package of cigarettes, again using a counterfeit $20 bill. Christopher recognized that George Floyd seemed to be under the influence of some sort of substance. And when he tried to pass the, the counterfeit $20 bill, Christopher didn't detect in George Floyd a, a desire to deceive and pull one over on him. And he had compassion on George Floyd. And he thought, you know, I'm just going to 
accept this. And their policy at the store, if you haven't been, if you haven't been watching the, any of the trial, the, the policy at the store is that if you accept a $20, or if you accept a counterfeit bill, it comes out of your paycheck. And so, the, so Christopher thought, the 19-year-old young man, you know, I'm just going to accept this and pay for this because of the compassion that he felt towards George Floyd. But then he got to thinking afterwards, after he'd left the store. And he kept looking at the bill, and you could tell by the way he was narrating it that he, his conscience was struggling. And he went and told the manager. And the, the, the manager said, no, I want you to go out and get those two guys to come back into the store <clears throat> to pay for the cigarettes or to return them. So Christopher and a coworker run out to the car, and they didn't want to come back into the store. So they came back and told the manager, and again, Christopher said, you know what, let me just pay for it myself. I'll pay for it myself. And the manager said, no, go out and get him. They didn't come back in. So the manager calls the police, and then we're all familiar with the rest of the story. But Christopher watched the whole scene. And you can hear on the recording, and it was brought out in the testimony, he says, is this what this has come to? Is this what we can expect? And it seemed like he was referring to, is this, is this the treatment that we're going to get? And then he said this, because he was walking around on the sidewalk with his hands on his head in, a, in an expression of exasperation and anger and confusion. And, he, and the... the the, uh, one of the lawyers, I can't remember if it was the prosecutor or the defense, he said, why were you doing that? And he said, I felt guilty. I felt guilty. If I had just paid it, none of this would have happened. And that was at that moment. And then, obviously, we all know what has happened globally. That one act... And I just thought, listening to that, I just, I just had so much compassion for him. How many times has he thought that over the past 10 months? How many nights has that kept him up? You know, his act of compassion and paying for itself, if he would have decided to do that, that was a, a good thing to do. But what he did was also a good thing to do in terms of um, what is true and what is right, not letting somebody else steal. So he was faced with two decisions, both, both of which you could easily justify. But again, the choice that he made led to a, a, a global uproar. And then the other, the other testimony, 17-year-old Darnella Frazier, she's the woman who recorded the whole event and then <clears throat> the, vi the video that went viral. She doesn't all regret her video. But she said in tears, listening to, to her, she bears regret for not doing more, and she says that she has apologized over and over and over in her mind to George Floyd for not doing something more. But, you know, there's a whole line of people there, and one of them was a, 
one of the the persons was a uh, he was a martial arts instructor and they had gone through training with police officers and he didn't do it. I mean he knew that if he did something that it might lead to his death as well and that that's very possible so you could, I, you could just hear and feel very palpably the guilt and the shame and then the obsessing. The obsessing around, I could have done something different. If I would have done this, if I would have done that. I think many of us, if not all, have been there obsessing about things and it just becomes overwhelming. These are the effects of death and the depression and the anxiety and the anger that comes out of that kind of obsession and those feelings of guilt and shame. You know, so I, I just, I just, I was just like, you know, what would I, what would I tell those young people? What would I, how would I, how would I counsel that? But we have to ask that same question for ourselves. What do we tell ourselves? We get into these mental loops of, of remembering, of considering, of, of obsessing, of regretting, of the lots of what-ifs. What if I had done this? What if I had done that? We find ourselves in places in life that are the consequences of a, a number of maybe small decisions that have a large consequence and a whole string of what-ifs and the obsessing and the guilt and the shame around all of those things. And it may not just be our own actions. It may not just be the what-ifs that we could have changed or the, the things that we've done that we obsess and feel guilty and shamed about, but sometimes, oftentimes, it's the actions of others against us, things that we had no control over, things that violated us, things that made us feel guilty and dirty and shameful, things that we obsess about. And then there's just the world of being the world an ugly and dirty and fallen place where we both victimize and are victims. And where just the natural corruption of this place uh, brings death. It brings death. We have some bright spots right now. It's spring. It's spring. Charlie and I spent 15 or 20 minutes this morning picking up trash out of the yard because... I just couldn't stand it, and it's nice to be out there in the weather and seeing some things getting cleaned up and greened up. The vaccines seem to be rolling out pretty well. The economy seems to be lifting. Good job reports this last week. But in reality, you know, the, the, the news media oftentimes tells us really what we want to hear, regardless of what news outlet you're looking for. And there was a, I read earlier, it was last week, I think, that somebody did some sort of comprehensive analysis of the, of the reporting on the pandemic and found that overwhelmingly, the news that the media chose to report was the negative news, not the positive news. It, they, they play to our fears. But in, the, in these, you know, these, these bursts of bright spots, you know, I think in reality, we all know they are frail reeds of hope. Things that we cannot really latch on to. The, the economy seems like a mirage. 
you know, the economy's going up, but we, you know, three trillion more dollars in debt. It doesn't seem real in a lot of ways. And the vaccines are good and helpful, but there's, you know, there's, they're fallen too. And not everybody has access to them or are getting them or don't want them. And we know that spring is here, but <laughs> there will be another winter. These are not things that we can put our hope in. And so I think that it is easy for us as human beings, I think it's easy for us as Christians to get pessimistic, to get hardened, to get hopeless, to get depressed, to get angry, to get obsessive, and to let the, the guilt and shame of these things overwhelm us. But we know inherently that we can't stay in places of death, and we can't stay in places where the effects of death are overwhelming us. You know, the philosophers teach us that, that the primary goal of life and really the primary goal of the, the efforts of philosophy have been, their, their, their efforts are trying to describe and understand what is the best way to live a life that ultimately overcomes death. Death is coming. How do we build a life that isn't overwhelmed by the truth of that? And I think it's pretty clear that we still haven't figured that out yet as a culture. We do not have a, a narrative, a solution to, the, to death and its effects. We do not have a transcendent perspective anymore. It's the philosophers of our day, secular philosophers, religious philosophers, acknowledge there is no central spirit or character or drive for us as a people. And so this, the depressing words over the last 15 minutes that I've attempted to describe some of the experiences of death that we have, this is why we celebrate Easter. This is exactly why we celebrate Easter. So traditionally, this is the Sunday where the churches gather to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His bodily presence literally coming out of the grave. Not just a, a spiritual manifestation, not an idealized, mystic kind of thing. His body came out of the grave. He overcame death. Not just in his mind, not just in his spirit, his body overcame death and it was changed. And the early church would celebrate this every Sunday. The Lord's Supper is our biblical celebration of Easter. Not just you know, the Easter celebration that we have as a country is, is not a biblical holiday. We are to have a weekly reminder of it in our Lord's Suppers. And it was the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, his bodily resurrection from the dead, because death has always been a part of our lives. People used to have like seven or eight or nine children because they knew that great possibility that over half of them would die by the time they were five years old. 
Having children was kind of a utilitarian thing. You, you had children so that you, they, you could have help on the farm. And you needed help on the farm so you couldn't just have a few if they all died off. You know, I was reading, I was reading, well, I won't go down that route. It's not in my notes. You've got to be disciplined. The passage today, the passage today is not a typical resurrection passage. It's a prayer. It's a prayer, and a prayer begins that we would have spiritual wisdom and understanding about the knowledge of God so that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we could know the hope of his calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. And the third one is, a, is the focus of today, that we would know the power of God at work toward us which is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. The power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us. If you have believed that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, creator and sustainer, that he died to pay for your sins, to destroy death, to conquer Satan and evil. If you believe that, if you believe those things, then the Holy Spirit has been given to you, and that Holy Spirit is the power that rose Jesus from the dead. So we have the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead living in us. You know, I was, I was talking with Charlie a little bit here. this morning. We came in and I asked Lawrence, and Lawrence, I said, Lawrence, are we singing death in his grave today? And yeah, it's on the list. I was really thankful for that. I love that song. And we were just chatting with Charlie about that, that phrase. And, and Charlie goes, how can death die? How can death die? And it was a, it was a great example of this reality. Because I am sure, without any shred of doubt, that, that the Simmons household has communicated the gospel to Charlie. But there is a vast difference between having knowledge of something and having a spiritual wisdom that God gives us that transforms what our hearts see and understand. See, our hearts are the seats of our loves, our passions, our affections. It's what drives our wills and decisions and emotions. And our emotions are a reflection of where our hearts are at. And so the prayer is a prayer that we would comprehend the power of God at work in the resurrection of the Messiah from the dead because that same power is at work in us. But if we, if we don't understand that power with a spiritual understanding, we will not experience that power in our lives. And it's not only that we will resurrect from the dead in a future time. It is the power over sin and death now. 
It is the power over guilt. It is the power over shame. It is the power over anxiety and depression and obsession and fear and all of these negative emotions that we experience that are a consequence of death. It is the promise that death will not overcome us while we live life on this earth. That is the promise of the gospel. The power that God wants to manifest in us isn't extraordinary miracles. It's not out-of-body experiences, both of which were experienced by Paul and the apostles. That's not what they were after. That's not what God is after. God is after a power that is at work in us to help us through the sufferings of this world so that it doesn't overtake us, but that we overcome it. That's the promise of the power of the gospel. We, that power has to, to demonstrate itself, our, our lesser loves, the things that are in our hearts, the things that we are drawn towards, the things that we, that we pursue to bring comfort to our death, the things that we pursue comfort for our suffering, that's what gets us into sin. We experience the consequences of death, and rather than turn to our Savior who has overcome it, and the only being that has ever overcome it, instead of turning to him, we turn to lesser loves, lesser sources of power, lesser experiences. And that's what sin is, the pursuit of lesser loves to overcome death and its effects. And we usually don't stop and evaluate our loves until we recognize that they're not providing what we need. Our anger and our fear and isolation and depression and anxiety and shame and guilt, they just kind of keep getting worse and worse. And the short bursts of relief that we get from the lesser loves, which can be very good things, the short bursts of relief that we get from them, if we are not grounded in the love of Jesus Christ, those lesser loves become just increasingly, increasingly powerless. And then we start to realize, you know, maybe something else. And so oftentimes we just jump to some other lesser love. We haven't tried this yet. So we keep jumping to these other options. And what the gospel says is that Jesus has provided the greatest love, the greatest power for our hearts and affections to truly overcome death and its effects. See, we have longings for life. We have longings to overcome death and its effects. And there's something within us, God has put it within us, what he calls in Ecclesiastes a sense of eternity. We know that there is something beyond what we are experiencing here on this earth that we call life. We know that there is a greater life, what the scriptures and what Jesus called eternal life, which again, isn't just a description of a, of a, of a far off future reality when we die. Eternal life is kingdom life. It's the quality of life that we have here as we overcome death and its effects. And what, and what God wants us to understand is that no, no, it, your vision will be fulfilled. Your desire for life can be fulfilled. Death will not overcome. It will not have that final victory. 
The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ says no to the victory of death and its effects. And it has to be a bodily resurrection because, you know, that's all we experience. We don't have experiences outside of what our bodies experiences. Even our thoughts are a part of our mind, which is a physical thing. We cannot imagine a life that's not bodily. Our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our longings, our failures, our death, our suffering, it's all bodily. And so it had to be a bodily resurrection. The, a bodily resurrection is the only true promise of life over death. Otherwise, if it's just a spirit that comes up and is something that we look forward to in the future, but the body stays dead, death still wins. It has to be the physical manifestation of God's creation overcoming death and its effects. The corrupt world will no longer be a corrupt world. The scriptures say that our world, the created, the earth, the planet, the stars, all of those things are waiting for the redemption of God's people because however it is that those things are experiencing the corruption of death, it longs as we do to be freed from it. And the manifestation of God's power over death was there and then. It wasn't a future thing. It was a there and then. It was, it was a testimony to the declaration of Jesus Christ when he said, the kingdom has come. These words are fulfilled in your presence. That's what he meant. And so it's not just something in the future that we look forward to. It's something now that he wants us to experience. And the promise isn't that we won't suffer. That's part of the gospel too. Jesus endured the suffering, scorned the shame of the cross, looking forward to the joy that was to come. It was a sustaining power that helped him to endure the suffering that he experienced on this earth while alive, and then ultimately the suffering that he experienced in his death on the cross. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that pushed him through and helped him to persevere. And he scorned the shame of that cross that was coming. He didn't fear it. Well, he, he feared it. He feared it. And he asked God to be delivered from it, but he didn't run. He scorned the shame. He, he had courage in the midst of his fear. And he pushed through the suffering. That is the promise of the power of the gospel. That is the power of the promise of the gospel. Life in the face of death and its effects. But why, do we, but why do we fail to experience this? Even Christians, why do we fail to experience this to the degree that God provides well, I want to read now one of the classic resurrection passages, Luke 24, 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared at two women. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living from among the dead? 
He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But listen to this. But these words seem to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. That phrase, idle tale, it means words of nonsense. One of the things that Luke records, and the other gospel authors as well, is that Jesus told them multiple times I will be delivered up to the rulers, they will kill me, and I'm going to rise. And yet when those women came back and told them, Jesus is risen, they thought that the words coming out of the mouths of those women were nonsense. Literally. That wasn't the first time that the disciples had heard those words. But the words were not accompanied with wisdom or understanding. The reason we, why we do not experience this type of a power to overcome death and its effects, the power of the Spirit, is because even, even for us who have believed in the gospel or those of us that have maybe heard the gospel but it doesn't make any sense to us and we respond, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's what, that's what John Adams' perspective of the resurrection was. This is the, he's one of the founding fathers and one of the two main authors of, the, of our founding documents as a country. The idea of the resurrection of the Messiah is the most ludicrous idea I have ever heard. So we, that's how we respond as unbelievers, that's a ridiculous story. But that's oftentimes also how we, how we respond as Christians. Those of us who have you know, believed in the gospel to save us from our sins, but we get weak along the way. And we, we don't necessarily say, those are words of nonsense. We don't say that. We may not even think it. But oftentimes... In our actions, our, our actions reflect a recognition of that power, a recognition of that hope. And we, and we, we kind of, you know, well, I, I, you know, I know the gospel. Doesn't seem to be helping right now, does it? But, and I, I think that our pain becomes so great that we, we, we've become desensitized to that gospel message. And we don't really believe it. We don't really believe it. We just don't see how it can be a power. We just don't see how it can help us because our pain becomes so great. Well, that's when, you know, the story and the words of the gospel come with the promise of that Holy Spirit that Holy Spirit that rose Jesus' body from the grave, that Holy Spirit that, that conquered death and its effects. 
And if you have believed in the gospel, that spirit has been deposited into you, never to be removed. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And what we do, we, we, we subtly disbelieve the power, and then we start going after other sources of comfort. And that's when we sin. That's when we sin. So how do we, how do we really apply this power? How do we move away from this kind of a reaction? Well, I think the first thing that we have to recognize is that we do have these knee-jerk reactions to the gospel, to Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not going to help right now. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from our flesh. It's a denial of the gospel and its ability to raise us from the dead, from death and its effects. So I think the first thing we need to do is recognize that we have a tendency to disregard the gospel too quickly because our pain is so overwhelming. Let's not do that. Let's remember that there is a power present within those of us who have believed. And if you have not yet believed in the gospel, the gospel is here for you to believe in. Your pain isn't too great. It can be overcome. You can experience life and joy and peace in Christ, both here in this life and for eternity through the power of the gospel that rose Jesus from the dead. So let's, let's stop our knee-jerk reactions to the story and the message of the gospel. And then let's deepen in the story of Jesus Christ. We need to, that's what we've been focusing on in our series on the mission. Let's deepen. We have to renew our minds. We have to renew our minds. This, this story is something that we need to read and listen to and remember. It'd be great when we can pick up our Lord's suppers in person once again. We've been trying to do them virtually, and that's helpful. But even in our households, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the promise of life over death, not just this story some, for some future afterlife, but for the here and now, death and its effects now. Renew our minds. One of the things that I have found helpful, there's, there's some great resources out there that just have really gone into the historicity of Jesus' death and his resurrection and, and the, the, the rigor that went into narrating the eyewitness testimonies found in the Gospels. It's powerful. It's powerful. So we have to push away the knee-jerk reactions. We have to deepen in the story of Jesus Christ and renew our minds. And in the face of suffering and death, we need to resist the comforts of sin. We need to resist the comforts of sin. We all have sins that we are drawn to for comfort. And instead of running away from that sin, the fourth thing that we need to do is we need to, we need to really embrace, we need to embrace the pain. We need to embrace the suffering. And in the midst, and in the midst of it, seek God's power for help. We need, we, we need to, to quit running away. Quit, let's work through and think through how the gospel is to deliver me from this pain at this moment. And that means we seek the word. That means we seek 
and engage in prayer, just like praying this prayer. When I, the first time I recognized what that prayer meant, I said, you know what? That seems like a prayer I need to start praying. And so at 19 years old, I haven't stopped praying that prayer, that I could know God so that I would understand the hope of my calling, the riches of Christ's inheritance in us. We get an inheritance, but we're also an inheritance. We are a valued treasure to the Lord Jesus and the power of the resurrected Messiah at work in me. Prayer is central to this because it's a recognition that God has to enlighten you to this reality. He needs to enlighten us. It's a lifelong thing because you know what? Our pains grow. Our pains grow. Our suffering grows. Things become harder and harder to bear as life goes on. And we need deeper comprehension of how the gospel saves us. Worship, beautiful singing this morning, beautiful words that remind us that indeed death has been put in his grave. And fellowship, we need, the, we need others to help us. And then service. Service is a remembrance of the servanthood of Jesus and his expressions of love that ultimately led to his suffering, but then also led to his glory. And, and if, we, if we do these things, push away the knee-jerk reaction of disbelief, deepen in the story of Jesus, resist the comforts of sin, embrace the pain and seek the power of Christ, we will experience power because he has risen. He has risen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Resurrected King, Lord Jesus. Father, forgive us for denying the power available to us. God, our prayer is the same as Jesus's and as, and as the apostles. Help us to know you in such a way that changes our hearts, that changes and transforms our loves and helps us to experience the power of the resurrected Jesus in us. In your son's name we pray, amen.